Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. All right, our reading today is from Exodus 18. If you want to turn there, otherwise it'll be on the screen for you to follow. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved him. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must teach the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. 
Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Thank you, Adam. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to week two of Vision Month here at Follow. And um, our theme was introduced last week, and we're talking about the theme of change this year. The title of our series is Change for Growth. And if you remember last week, I preached a lot of my sermons sitting on a stool, um, but I didn't want to embrace change. So I've gone back to what I usually do. This is an example of me not practicing what I preach. But we're talking this month about change, change for growth. And I just wanted to recap last week's message for those that weren't here and missed the start. We talked last week about um, the, the theme of changing for growth and personal change. And I talked about four different places that we can find ourselves living as people, and they're represented in the quadrants on the screen. Uh, we took, first of all, about the place that I called godly order. Uh, godly order is that place of discipleship. It's the sweet spot in our lives. It's where we are growing in the will of, of what God wants for us, where we find fulfillment and joy and purpose in a relationship with Jesus. It's that place where there's passion and growth in our faith. It's where God wants us to live. He wants our lives to be ordered in a godly way where we're serving him. Now, the problem is that we have a real enemy, and we have an enemy who wants to get us to take our eyes off Jesus. If we're going to live lives of godly order, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, and yet the devil is the master of deception and distraction, and he wants us to shift our vision, even if it's just a little bit, so that Jesus is now in the periphery blur of our lives rather than the central focus of our lives. And so when we take our eyes off Jesus, there's a couple of places we can shift to. The first place we talked about last week was what we called um, ungodly order. Ungodly order is that place in life where we order everything around ourselves. Jesus is no longer the focus, but other things have taken Jesus' spot and become more important in our lives. It might be our career, it may be our family, it may be our job, it may be our friends, it may be our hobbies, it may be our house, it could be our car. Not for me, but it may be a football team. (laughs) Don't think I've ever mentioned football before, first time. But... But there's things that creep in and they take our focus away from Jesus. And we end up in this place where Jesus is just part of the periphery blur. And so that's what I called ungodly order. The other place we can drift to when we take our eyes off Christ is a place of ungodly chaos. Now, this is a place where sin reigns. It's a place where we fall into the trap of habitual sin. Things like lust and anger and greed and Um, selfishness and gossip and slander and all those things where where the devil wants us to be and we only ever end up there when we take our eyes off Jesus. When you are looking to Jesus, you're not gossiping. When you're looking to Jesus, you're not being greedy because you're learning to be more like Christ. And so we can end up in this place of ungodly chaos. The other place I said that we can go, and this is a good place, is what I called godly chaos. In other words, um, stepping out in faith. It's that place where God calls us into the unknown. It may be scary, it may agitate some fear in our lives, but God is calling us to step out in faith and to grow in our trust of him, to grow in our dependence on him, to grow in our obedience to him. And so we are learning to take those steps of faith. And that's what I call a place of godly chaos. Now, if you don't believe that godly chaos exists, then you haven't been in my house this week. I don't know if you noticed this morning... But my wife was on the worship team for the first time ever. She stood up in front of you guys and she helped lead our congregation into worship. Now, when I first met Kim, she was on the borderline of being mute. 
I remember going to family events and friend events and, and I'd feel this pressure to keep the conversation going all the time because Kim, back in those days, was the master of the one word answer. How was your week? Good. What have you been doing? Two words, not much. You know, and it was just that the conversation kind of stopped. And so it's been amazing to see the growth in Kim. And if, if you had said to me back then that one day Kim would stand up in front of you and, and help lead worship in our church, I probably would have said you had marbles in your head. Uh, this week there's been some godly chaos in our house. I remember Kim earlier in the week was panicking, you know, the songs aren't up. Uh, if I don't get the songs, how am I going to practice? They're still not up. Five minutes later, the songs still aren't up. That was Monday. And so there's been this panic. Yesterday and a couple of other times, she went out for a drive because she didn't want to sing in front of me, which is kind of ironic because that's what she did this morning, but she didn't want to do it. So she went out in the car. If you saw some woman driving around this week in a car in the, you know, Berwick, Beaconsfield, um, Packenham officer area with the music up loud and singing at the top of her lungs, well, that was my wife. And apparently she sounds really good today. I don't know what she sounds like because I'm tone deaf. But um, I just saw this bright light like an angel up here, so I'm still, you know, knocked out from that. Look and learn, men. I'm here to help. Godly chaos. Kim stepped out of the godly, uh, the order of coming and just being part of a service into the godly chaos to do something that stretches her, scares her, and will grow her by standing up and doing something she's never done before. And I think this is what godly chaos in our lives looks like. And so the title of our Vision Month is Change for Growth. And so last week I encouraged all of us to consider where we're currently at in our relationship with Christ. And also consider through the guidance of the Holy Spirit what things he wants us to change in order to become more like him in 2019. Because it won't just happen. It won't happen without humility. It won't happen without self-awareness. It won't happen without an openness to the Holy Spirit. It won't happen without a proactive step towards God. In 2019, we need to decide whether we will go through the motions of faith or whether we will grow as disciples of Jesus because we won't do both. And so that's a decision that all of us have to make. And so week one was all about personal growth. And today we are looking at process growth. And it doesn't sound quite as exciting, does it? Most people don't get excited about process. I can literally feel you yawning this morning as I mention it. Last week I could physically see you yawning um, because it was 38 degrees in here, so you do have an excuse. Today I can feel you yawning because I said the P word, process. Uh, I know that some people love process. I reckon it's about 3% of people. Yesterday I went out for breakfast with Paul and Jen and some others and I mentioned process and Jen says, oh, I love process. <laughs> Jen is part of the 3%. There's a good chance you are part of the 97%. But I want to encourage you today, please don't switch off. Because I think the passage we looked at today shows us that process is pivotal to help everybody change for growth. As we explored last week, we are all at different places on the growth spectrum, all the way from people who love to embrace change to people who have a more natural default position of avoiding change and, and others everywhere in between. Now, everyone on that spectrum is important within community, but there's a reality that we need to face as a church, and that is that we have grown quicker than most churches grow, and so we need to be willing to change quicker than most churches change. And that can be uncomfortable, particularly for people at the avoidance end of the spectrum. All the feedback I received from mentors and church planting networks before we planted was that we had set up our process really well for a new church. 
However, due to the, the growth that we had, the speed of growth, it'd be fair to say that we have been chasing our tail since day one. As a leadership team, we sense that 2019 is a chance to pause, to rethink and to re-establish things like governance, constitution, leadership pathways, as well as further strengthening other key areas in our church like pastoral care and small group MCGs to ensure that we're not just coping with the current need to care and reach out, but we're also preparing ourselves for future growth as we reach new people and more people become part of our community. For the first time at Follow, we feel like we can look ahead and put things in place to be ahead of the growth rather than catching up to it all the time. And so I believe today's passage can certainly help us as we think through that. And so we turned in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. It's the story of Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. Moses is obviously a central figure in the Old Testament, but Jethro gets very few mentions in the Bible. However, I think his contribution in Exodus chapter 18 particularly is a very significant one that has helped churches and impacted churches around the world in incredible ways over thousands of years. Jethro's leadership advice is practical and can still be adopted and contextualised in churches around the world today. So let's have a look at the background of this particular story. We have God's people. They had come through the Exodus. They had exited um, slavery in Egypt. God had done the miraculous. He'd split open the Red Sea. Pharaoh had been defeated. They had been victorious. And they are now on their way towards the promised land that God had promised them. However, they're not there yet. They are actually out in the wilderness. Moses is out there in the desert. And he is faithfully exercising ministry amongst the people. And so one day his father-in-law, a guy called Jethro, comes out for a visit. And the first thing he wants to do is catch up on what's actually been going on. He's heard great things about what God has done. News has travelled fast, which is kind of miraculous because there was no internet and there was no email and there was no Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. There were no cool hashtags like hashtag change for growth. Naomi is the only person who used it this week. This week we have got a faith goal to to have two people do it. Two people are going to talk about change in their life with the hashtag change for growth and that would be 100% growth. That would be amazing. Verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. But now he actually wanted to hear and see what God had done in person. And so he arrives in the middle of the wilderness where Moses is camped with the people near the mountain of God. And he brings Moses' wife and kids with him. They'd been away for a while back with Jethro. And so this would have been a pretty emotional kind of family reunion. Wife and kids are there and I can imagine Moses running out and and hugging and giving a big sloppy kiss like I do when I haven't seen my kids and wife for a while and they love it. And so I imagine Moses would have done that with his family as well. They would have caught up on what's been going on in family life. Have the kids been going to school? Are they doing well with their teachers? All that sort of stuff. And so they would have caught up on the the day-to-day things of life. However, it's pretty clear that Jethro and Moses are really keen and enthusiastic to talk about all that God has done. And so Moses starts this encounter by giving a testimony on how good God has been. Essentially, this is what we would call a praise report. You'll notice his lips are full of gratitude. 
and he can't wait to express his thanks to God. And I must admit, as I was reading this story this week, the question that came into my mind was simply this, are we quick to praise God in our circumstances? Are we quick to praise God in our circumstances? You know, life moves so fast, doesn't it? From one year to the next, the older you get, the faster it seems to go. And we never seem to take time to stop and reflect on the goodness of God. God has been so good in our lives, personally, individually. He's also been incredibly good to us as a church. In the last three and a half years, he's provided in so many ways. He's brought a wonderful group of people together who love Jesus and want to be on mission. He's helped us to have an impact in our community. There have been many lives that have been impacted and changed by his grace. And the good news is he's only just got started. The best days are still to come in the life of Follow Baptist Church. And we're enthusiastically looking forward to those with steps of faith. However, it's easy to just keep moving along, isn't it? Without ever pausing and stopping for a praise report. In fact, we can even go the other way and we can find ourselves spending more time grumbling about things than we do actually about being thankful about God's goodness. I've noticed that there's people throughout the journey over decades that I've seen that, that they tend to get into this sort of vortex of negativity. And if we're, if we're careful, not careful, we'll just end up staying there. We'll never get out of it. It's where the devil wants us to be. But I think this passage reminds us that we should be more like Moses. We should be slow to grumble and quick to praise. Quick to praise our God for how incredibly good he is. And so I wonder what can we be thankful for today? His mercies are new every morning. Verse 8, Moses tells the good news to his family. He says, He told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now I want you to see this next bit. Jethro, it's now Moses praising God. Now Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. What I want you to see is this, that when we praise, it is contagious. When we praise, it's contagious. It encourages. When we grumble, it discourages. And so the question is, are we going to be a praiser or a grumbler? Are we going to be an encourager or a discourager? 2019 may be a time of change. We talked last week about personal change. Is this an area where you, where I need to grow personally to change this year? Praise is contagious. So is negativity. So be a praiser in 2019. So Jethro catches up with all the good news. He's heard the praise report, and the next day he's ready to do a field trip and see it with his own eyes. Next day Jethro accompanies Moses in his ministry work, and he observes what his day looks like and how he's leading the people. And so what unfolds in the rest of this chapter is what we would describe in modern terms as a leadership consultation. A consultation is when an expert in a particular field will come and observe how things are done. They will ask questions. They will consider what they have seen and heard. They will write a report and they will give advice to the organisation or the church on how they could improve all areas of ministry. 
Now, these things usually cost hundreds of dollars, but this, in Exodus 18, is the best type of leadership consultation you can have. It is a free leadership consultation. And it's coming from a family member, so you know it's not going to be sugar-coated. It's going to be the bare, honest, open truth. Jethro is coming from outside of the context of Moses' leadership. He's coming into the inside, and he's looking at it with fresh eyes. You know, I think sometimes it's vital that we get an outside perspective. Late last year in November, we had Pastor Mark Connor come to follow. And he spent a couple of days ministering to us in both the church service and also at our As One Leadership Night. And a couple of reasons um, were, we had a couple of reasons why we invited Pastor Mark to come to follow. The first one is that he's a world-class communicator and we wanted him to minister to us as a congregation. But the second reason we asked him is that he's also a world-class leader. He's a guy that has led successfully over decades, and we wanted to glean wisdom from him based on all the experiences he's had over many years. After the Sunday service, a small group of leaders took him out for lunch, and we had the opportunity to ask him a series of questions about church and ministry. He also had the opportunity to observe us as a church and give suggestions on things we could do to move forward. Late last year, I also caught up with a guy called Bill Brown, uh, as a pastor of Sindel Baptist Church, another um, large Baptist church in Victoria. And then just in January this year, I went and spent two and a half hours with a guy called Alan DeMond from New Hope Baptist Church. Now, these are two large influential Baptist churches with two wise and mature leaders who have navigated the chaos of change and growth and they've come out the other side with churches that are having significant impact, not only on their own people, but in the wider community. And so I started our meeting with those two men, a little bit like Moses. I started with a praise report. I told them about all that God had done at Follow. I talked about the amazing people that God has assembled here together on mission. I talked about some of our dreams for the future. I had with me a notepad and a pen, and I took it out. I had dozens of questions written down, and I asked the questions, and then I shut up, I listened and I scribbled down notes as fast as I could, trying to learn as much as possible in the short amount of time that we had. It included advice on what they would do if they were at the same stage that we're at here at Follow Baptist Church. An outside perspective is so very important, and it was such a helpful thing for me to do, and this is very similar to what Jethro is doing for Moses. It's a free leadership consultation from a wise, godly leader to a younger leader who is serving in ministry. And so they head out for this field trip. Verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. And they stood around him. Take note of that. We're going to come back to it. They stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people he was observing, he then asked questions. What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge? While all these people, here it is again, stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now I can picture Jethro at that particular stage. I imagine he probably had a pretty impressive beard. I can imagine him kind of scratching his beard and going, hmm, interesting. I can imagine him pulling out a notebook and Moses watches on with a concerned face as he scribbles down some notes, wondering what he's writing in his report. Well, he doesn't have to wait long because in the very next verse, he commences delivering his report and it doesn't start well. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing 
is not good. If this is a report card, it would probably read uh, D or E minus or maybe even F, which is really kind of puzzling because we've just been hearing about all the great things that God has done. I mean, Moses... Heart is obviously in the right place. He's been helping all these people to send God's will. He's been serving tirelessly from morning to evening with passion and determination. They've grown numerically. They've overcome adversity. They've seen God do the miraculous in their midst. We could look outside in and we could go, wow, this is incredible. We may even think this is a successful ministry. Moses is a wonderful leader. We may even go to a guy like Moses and say, tell us what you do. How do you do the things that you're doing? Jethro's assessment was very different. He says, what you are doing is not good. And he presents his report for change that could be summarised into three main headings. And if you're a note taker, you can write these down. Jethro's leadership consultation report could easily have had a health equation which read like this. Leadership change plus process change will equal life change. Leadership change plus process change can lead to life change. And so let's unpack these three points. And with each one, I'm going to tell you why I think they're important. The first one is leadership change. Why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because leaders are people, and people are precious to God. Leaders are people, and people are precious to God. Jethro immediately was concerned for Moses. Moses was quite obviously a leader who was experiencing the hand of God in his ministry. Clearly, he was resilient and high capacity. He had a sense of grit and determination, and he was in a relationship with God, but Moses needed to change as a leader. He needed to change for growth. Jethro said, what you're doing is not good, and he continues in verse 18. He says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. Jethro's assessment is that Moses, as a leader, was on the way to burnout. His advice was, Moses, if you don't change something and quickly, you are likely to end up on the scrap heap of ministry exhausted, disappointed and disgruntled and that would be a tragedy because that is not God's plan for your life. This is a dilemma that nearly every leader will face at some point of their lives. If you've ever been a leader in any capacity, it's highly likely at some stage you've found yourself in this emotional state. And maybe you've even had a wise person in your life giving you some advice like Jethro, but perhaps you haven't taken it. Maybe if you're a leader, this is a current issue for you. Maybe this is exactly how you're feeling in this season of your life. And if you are, I want you to listen very carefully this morning. You are at a pivotal moment in your life and in your faith. And the next steps you can take will directly affect your ability to minister and maybe even the trajectory of your life because I've seen over the years so many people burn out and then check out of faith never to return. That is an absolute tragedy. The start of a new year, it's an opportune time to make a change. Maybe you may need to pull back this year. You may need to take a break to replenish the tank. You may need to start involving others in what you're doing. Maybe you're doing a million things and it's time to reassess and do a few things well rather than a million things poorly. Maybe this year you need to make a leadership change. 
As Jethro suggests, you are in need of God's help and wisdom to come to a place of refreshment where you can return to ministering from overflow rather than exhaustion. Moses was heading for burnout and he could either resist change or he could embrace change and grow. Resist change and burnout or embrace change and grow. If you're a leader in this church and you feel like this at any stage in your ministry here at Follow, I want to clearly say something this morning. I want to tell you this. We love you for who you are, not for what you do. We want you to know we love you for who you are, not for what you do. So if you ever need to take a break from ministry, we're not going to love you any less. In fact, as an eldership, we we want to know about that. We can't help if we don't know. And so I want to encourage you very clearly today that if you feel like you're in that space, please come and talk to myself or one of the elders, and we would love to support you through that season. We'd love to give you support, advice, and love. And if you're willing to receive support and embrace change, there is every possibility you can come out the other side as a stronger and a wiser leader with even more passion than you had before. Our greatest desire, whatever you do in this church, is that you serve with joy as you serve the Lord. Thankfully for Moses, he had the humility and the wisdom to listen to Jethro's advice. And he embraced the need for leadership change. Jethro's suggestion for change is that Moses move from solo to team. From solo to team. Twice in this passage, in verse 13 and 14, Jethro mentioned that people were standing around while Moses served. In other words, there were people who could help, but Moses was too busy doing that he couldn't see them. In a recent book, A quote will come up on the screen, a recent book by Michael Fletcher called Empowering Leadership. He says this, The quintessential doer loves Jesus and the church and expresses that love through serving. Now, we need doers in church. We need doers, people who want to serve. But we also need leaders. And he's comparing a doer and a leader. He says, By that, I mean that their focus is on their work. Rarely do they look up, metaphorically speaking, to see what is happening elsewhere. There is that lane... Theirs is the lane that matters the most. Children, greeting, outreach, worship or small groups is where it is. And since their head is down doing, they often don't notice the number of workers in their lane has dwindled. That is until they begin to feel the pressure of producing more with less. They also begin to feel abandoned by leadership. Why don't they help us? Why don't they send some volunteers? Surely they see how critical our lane is. What happens when you put a doer in a volunteer leadership position, they attract other people who are like themselves. So doers attract other doers, not leaders. Doers are incredibly important, but so are leaders. And we need to make sure that we have them in the right place. I said to our leaders at our Aslan leadership night last year that we can no longer have any ministry at follow that's dependent on one person. That is not healthy and that is not sustainable. In essence, this is what Jethro is saying to Moses. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now, if there was ever a leader in the history of the world who could do it themselves, who would it be? Jesus, absolutely. Someone said Luke. No, that's the wrong answer. Jesus is the one. If there was ever a leader right in the world who who just said, hey, look, just clear out, just leave me to it. I don't want to cringe through watching you try because I can do it much better. I am the son of God. I am God in human form. Just clear out and let me do it solo. If there was ever a leader who should have done that, it would have been Jesus. What's the first thing he did when he started his earthly ministry? He went immediately from solo to team. He didn't call the superstars. He called the tradesmen, the fishermen, the 
the people that are being rejected by other rabbis. He called these people that other people said they're no good at all. He called them, he embraced them, he trained them, he equipped them, he became a team. So important that we move from solo to team. But for this to occur, we need two things to happen. First of all, we need leaders who can spot potential and build teams. Leaders who can spot potential and build teams. The New Bible Commentary says, The example of Moses delegating authority to others is a fitting reminder that within the life of the church, we need to share the tasks so that no one individual is unduly burdened. There are Those in positions of leadership should also be prepared to entrust others with meaningful responsibilities. We need leaders who can spot potential and build teams. This means that when we appoint leaders that follow from this point forwards, it won't just be about their ability to do the task, it will also be about their willingness to multiply. And so we need leaders who can spot potential and build teams. The second thing we need is people who are willing to step up using their skills and passions to help carry the load. And maybe when we talk about personal change, this is where God's prompting you this year. He's saying it's time that you step out back into a place of serving. We've talked about people that are in a place where they need a rest, but for others, you're on the other side of the coin, and Jesus is saying it's time for you to step out and serve. You know what Jesus said? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life. And maybe that's what God's calling you into, into some of that godly chaos as you step out in obedience. And the good news is this, that week two of Vision Month, that's today, is serving week. And at the end of the service, these chairs will be gone. There will be tables along there with different ministries in the life of the church. And you can go and look at all of those and prayerfully consider whether you can step up and help serving in one of those ministries. And so we need leadership change. Moses needed leadership change. Second of all, he needed process change. Why is this important? Well, leadership change is important because leaders are people and people are precious to God. Why is process change important? Well, process change is important because our degree of willingness to embrace process change will correlate directly with our ability to care for people, raise leaders and grow as a church. Let me say that again. Our willingness to embrace process change will correlate directly with our ability to care for people, raise leaders, and grow as a church. Process change is important. It doesn't take long for Jethro to realise that the size of Moses' congregation had outgrown his structure. They desperately needed process change. They were in a situation where they needed to change for growth. Last year I did some fascinating reading from some Christian authors about life cycles in organisations. There was one guy called Les McEwen. You can see his thing up on the state on the screen there. But he was talking about the life cycle that happens in an organisation or a church. Les McEwen is a guy that's started over 40 businesses. He's been a part of several churches and church plants. And he basically says that whatever organisation you're in, they tend to go through the same kind of life cycle. So when you look at the screen, you'll see that there are seven different um, parts of this cycle. And so if you're, watch, you're listening on the podcast, it looks a little bit like a mountain with a plane on top and seven clearly identified stages that are consistently identified in organisations. As you consider this, you will probably think of churches that you have seen at different parts of the cycle. And so the first stage is down the very bottom on the left. Yep, your left. Yep. It's called the early struggle. And the early struggle is basically what happens in the first three years of a startup, whether it's a business or a church, 80% of all startups fail in the first three years and close their doors. It's a difficult stage. The thought that you have in your head in these first three years is, I'm sure, I sure hope this works. 
I sure hope this works. Not much confidence, but you sure hope it works. Now, at follow, it feels like we kind of skipped right over the early struggle. It wasn't long before we grew to a, you know, a critical mass. We were self-sustainable, and so we kind of just skipped over the early struggle, stayed into the second stage, which he calls fun. Uh, fun is good. I feel like for the first three years of follow, it was fun. Uh, people were growing. It was vibrant. There was passion. There was enthusiasm for mission. Um, we were ready to embrace whatever ha- God had for us. We took some big steps of faith. Discipleship was happening. People were saved. There were baptisms. It's great being in the fun stage. But the next stage is what he calls the white water stage. Now, I want you to think about white water rafting for a moment. Uh, you wanna, some people just love to jump in a canoe and put on a helmet and get the oars and go into the rapids. They love the unpredictable nature. They love the risk. They love the speed. They love the excitement. They love getting wet. But just as many people don't like getting in a canoe. They, like, they think, why would I get in that water with all that danger when I can stand here on perfectly good land? And there are a lot of people like that. And so the white water can be that stage where, where conflict starts to happen, where change needs to happen, where there's a little bit of anxiety, where people, some people leave. New leaders kind of have to step up and take spots. It's a, it's a difficult season, the white water season. And the question you're having in the white water season is, this may be too much. This may be too much. The next stage is what Les McEwen calls predictable success. Craig Grishel from Life Church, he calls it the zone. The zone is that place of health. It's where you're growing, but not so fast that you can't cope with it. You have structures in place. You have process working well. It's a place where there's discipleship, where there's new people being saved, where there's more baptisms, where God is doing incredibly good things, and we're all enjoying it. The thought you have in in this particular season of a life cycle is this is as good as it gets. God is so good. And they say that you can actually stay in that particular spot long term if you don't take it for granted and you continue to do the right things, if you continue to change for growth. However, the bad news is there's another side of the mountain and you can go over the other side. We don't want to go over the other side. But the other side, the first place you can go to is what they call the treadmill. So you know what a treadmill is like? You're doing a lot of work. There's a lot of activity. It seems like there's things happening, but you're getting nowhere. You're not progressing towards the mission anymore. You've been distracted by red tape and activity and busyness, but really you've lost the vision of what you're trying to do. It's a treadmill. You can pull yourself out of the treadmill back to a place of the zone, but if you don't, you keep going down the mountain. The next place is the big rut. You can probably all think of churches that have found themselves in this place, the big rut, where they talk more about, well, when we, I remember the days when we used to. Oh, if we could just go back to old Betty, you know, with Billy Graham, you know. And, and we're always thinking back and we're always reminiscing, no longer looking forward. Uh, there's no change. There's a real stuckness. There's like, no, I don't want anything to move forward. They're in the big rut. And what you think about in the big rut is this isn't fun anymore. I can remember when it was, but it's not fun anymore. And you're on the way out. The last one is what he calls the death rattle. It's kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? We've all seen churches where you're just literally waiting for the last members to die to close the doors. You're in the death rattle. You're in the death rattle. And you are thinking in that stage, this ship is sinking. So as I've talked about this, I wonder if you're reflecting on where we're at as a church. You may be thinking, where is follow? Well, it's good to know the leaders don't believe we're in the death rattle. We actually think we're on the right side of the mountain. I think that we are actually in the white water stage. The white water stage is a stage of change. It is identified as the stage where you are more likely to go backwards 
than you are to go forwards. It's identified as the stage that is the most difficult for the pioneering leader. So your prayers are appreciated. Groeschel says that the most critical things in this stage are to make sure that you have the right people in the right places, that you are brave enough to make bold decisions, and that you have a process in place to grow leaders and facilitate that growth. As a leadership, we sense that we are at this stage where we need to change our process, not for the sake of change, but for the sake of growth. This is precisely where Moses was at. Precisely. Jethro comes in, he sees that they have outgrown their structures, they need process change. He then gives Moses a clear pathway to develop leaders, to cope with the growth, and to accommodate the amount of people he was ministering to, and the process was completely scalable for future growth. He outlines it in verse 19. And really what is happening is Moses is moving up a level to an oversight role. He says, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Verse 20, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they're to behave. He's kind of coaching them. Verse 21, but select capable men from all people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and listen to this, and God so commands, if you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. Moses needs to help people from standing around to serving. To do that, he needed a leadership pathway, and Jethro shows him how to do it by putting some leaders over 10, some over 50, some over 100, some over 1,000, according to their ability and capacity. And I imagine as they grew in capacity, they shifted. So if you're overseeing 10s and you knock it out of the park, you're going to be overseeing 50s. If you're overseeing 50s and your capacity is greater than that, you're going to go to 100, 100s to 1,000s. And so people are growing in leadership, and the people are being cared for in an adequate manner. What I've found over the years is people often don't know what they're capable of until they're given opportunity. This is a great method of leadership development. Moses becomes their coach in verse 20. It says he gave them their instructions and he modelled godly character. Follow, we want to be able to do this well as well. And we put together some ideas for governance change and leadership pathways that are now on the screen. I'm not going to go through them all, but you can look at them. Um, You'll have them in the PowerPoint with the message notes for you to think about. And then in week four, we're going to explain it in a little bit more depth. Follow, we're in the white water. And it's a place of godly chaos. I imagine for Moses, it would have been a huge effort to change structure for thousands of people without the communication opportunities we have today. I imagine some would have resisted. They're humans after all. Some people would have resisted. Others would have been excited. I'm sure it took time. I can almost guarantee they made mistakes and made adjustments, but they were ultimately ultimately willing to embrace change for growth. This year, as a congregation, we're going to need your input. We're going to need your feedback. And guess what else we're going to need? We're going to need your patience. As we work through change, we'll try not to move too fast. We're going to do our very best to take you along on the journey, to give you a chance to input into the changes. But there's almost a guarantee there will be some moments where grace is required from you to us as a leadership team and from us to you as a congregation. And it's called grace for a reason. It's unconditional love. And we're going to require that at different times this year. 
I want to finish today with point three, which is the briefest, but the most important. We don't want to change, as I said a moment ago, for the sake of change. We want to change for growth, but ultimately because our vision is Jesus and we want to see life change. So why is life change important? Well, life change is important because life change is discipleship, and discipleship is what we're all called to. Leadership change plus process change can actually equal life change. Verse 23, if you do this and God commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. Changes that Moses made were all about meeting the needs of God's people. At Follow, we are far from a perfect church, but as a leadership team, we want to be a church that brings glory to God by giving you every opportunity to grow and become fully devoted followers of Christ. We can't do that for you. But what we can do is pray and provide opportunities and ensure that our process and structure can back that up and that is a big part of the changes that we are looking to make this year. We want to do our very best to help you move from standing to serving. For some of you, from serving to leading, but all of you towards a greater level of engagement with Christ and a greater growth in discipleship in 2019. That's why we believe that we need process change to facilitate the growth that God wants for each of us and for us as a community. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.